a lot of announcements, but there we go. Joey's such a professional at it. I, I, when he was at Costa Mesa, I always thought, it's like, man, he can do announcements good. Crazy. But anyway, tonight, tonight I would like to ask a question. And it is a question that every single Christian needs to ask every single morning. This is not something that any of us can afford to, um, to look past. It's not something that we can ignore. As Christians, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, every single one of us needs to ask every single morning, what will I do today? What am I going to do with today? Now, I guarantee you, you know, we're, we're, not a huge we're not a huge congregation. We don't have 10,000 people in a stadium. But I guarantee you, in this congregation, there are men and, and there are women who are haunted by their past. There are men and women who have guilt from something that happened from a long time ago, maybe bitterness of an event that happened, maybe somebody uh, mistreated them, maybe somebody abused you, maybe somebody um, said something to you or humiliated you, and there's something that, that you can't get over. It's something that you haven't been able to let go of this day, to this day, and it haunts you, and it dominates. Every single time you think of it, it, it comes up again, and the emotions are fresh as if it just happened yesterday or it just happened just now. There are many people who are haunted by the past, who they are shackled by it. And it is, it is a chain that reaches from the past all the way to this day, and it keeps us from going forward in the Lord. I guarantee you there are men and women in this study tonight who have a past that holds them captive. It has bound them. It has wrapped them like bonds, and they can't get free of it. There are also, I guarantee, men and women here this evening who are paralyzed with fear over what the future may hold. You know, we look at our economic times right now, we look at the political scene, we look at what's going on in the world, and people are unsettled. People are freaking out. It's like, what's going to go? Oh, yeah, uh, you know, you saw the register a couple weeks ago where it said that the GOP says that um, our president's stimulus package is going to make the country go insolvent. And you read that and go, oh, that's on the front page of the register. Oh, my goodness, what is this? You know, what is going on? Where are we <laughs> right here in these times? Like, I don't even know. But there are things, it's like sometimes, sometimes it's, a, it's, a, it's a workload. It's like, gosh, there's so many things on my plate. And I, I, I see it all, and it's like it has to be done by that day. And the, I've got a deadline, and it's, oh, my goodness, there's just so much. I'm overwhelmed, and so I can't do any of it. I give up. I just can't do it. Maybe there's something in a personal nature. Maybe there's somebody that you know in your heart that you have, to, you have to maybe rebuke them or you have to address something with them, and it terrifies you, and you're thinking, it's like, and your heart's beating, it's like, I can't do it. I just want peace. I just want love. I, you know, I want to love them. I don't want to do this. And, and so the fear of what may be, what could happen, begins to keep us it, it like imprisons us and its walls are high and its mortar is thick and, and we can't get away from it and it, it traps us. The fear of the unknown, the fear of what might be, of what could happen. Every single one of us, I'm sure, have run the scenarios, right? You've thought about somebody, maybe you're, you're in a fight with somebody and you start having an imaginary conversation with the person. How many of you have done that? I've done it. I've done it lots of times, right? And you start having an imaginary conversation with the person, and then what happens? You say something. It's like, well, I say this, and then they're going to say this. And, they, and, they, and, you, and you make up what they're going to say back. And then it's like, and if they said that, then I'm going to say this. And then, and then oh, then I bet they're going to say this. And you start like, going back and forth, and you have a fight with yourself. 
in their name. And you get really mad at them, right? And you get really upset. I've literally done it where it's like, you know, it's like I, I got myself so worked up, like my face is turning flesh and everything. And it's like I'm running the scenarios. And it's like it's something that is imagined. It's something imaginary. The future is imaginary. It's not here yet. It's, it doesn't exist. And when we run the scenarios, when we look to the future and we see all the possibilities of what it could be and we come, become overwhelmed, then we're like, <gasps> but the Lord says, don't even worry about it. Enough of the worries of today. Don't even worry about tomorrow. But there are people in here right now, look around you, brothers and sisters in the Lord, who are paralyzed with the fear of what could be. And then we have what the Lord speaks of today. Today. And we are going to definitely be getting into That's going to be the main application for tonight is today. What do we do with today? But before we get to today... We need to talk about yesterday. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 47 and look to verse 7. Now, most of you, I'm sure, know the story of uh, Jacob and Joseph. Uh, Joseph went to Egypt. He became, you know, the, you know, Pharaoh's number two guy. Was it, you know, just an incredible thing? Ended up, you know, saving his family the whole bit. And Jacob, his father, I don't know, just, I'm just going to bring it to your remembrance right now, but Jacob loved Joseph above all of his other sons. And all of his other sons became bitterly jealous of Joseph. And they were so just sick of this kid who was you know, telling on them and who his dad gave him a fancy coat and all that, that they literally, they were planning on killing him. But then they had a, they had like a better idea, okay, you know what, we'll make some profit out of it. We're going to sell him to some Ishmaelites and they're going to take him to Egypt and we'll never see him again. Now, they do this. It's like, okay, well, now we've got to come up with a story. What's our story? So they took his coat, they ripped it, and then they, they dabbled blood all over it. And then they brought it to their father and said, we found this. They didn't say a word, and they, and they let Jacob's imagination go wild. Right? And so Jacob's like, oh, my son, my son, he's dead. And, and, and he freaks out. And we pick up. This is now at the end of the story when he has been reunited with his son Joseph and he's standing before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh asks him a question in verse 7. So let's just, we'll just jump in right there. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. Now notice what the Pharaoh asks. He probably sees this guy, and he looks old. He's like, gosh, this guy looks old. You know, how old are you? And this is the response that Jacob, he doesn't just say, oh, you know, I'm 130. But as Jacob looked back on his life, the thing that came to his, to his recollection, the, the, the emotions that stirred in his life was, I'm 130 years old, few and evil have been my days. Now, we got to stop for a second because, wait a second, isn't this one of the patriarchs? You know, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Don't all of the blessings of God rest upon this man and his family? Wait a second, something's not adding up here. This man has livestock like you would not believe. He has servants, 
tons of them. He has everything. He has, a, he has affluence. He is a man of wealth and means. He has 12 sons and four wives. Well, that might not be a blessing, but he's got four wives and he's got 12 sons. He's got a huge family. He's got this just great blessing, right? The, the blessing of the Lord, the dew of heaven has fallen upon him. He has everything. And the Lord, and, and his recollection of his life is few and evil have been my days. And you think, wow, well, why? Well, Joseph's brothers kind of give us the answer to that. Because when, when his brothers came back, and remember, Joseph was the favored child. He was the one. Jacob had put all of his hopes, all of his dreams, all of his love into this son. Right? He elevated him above the rest of his brothers. And when his brothers brought that coat back to Jacob with the blood on it, it was torn. And he, he just assumed that some wild beast you know, got a hold of uh, Joseph and killed him and ate him. His world shut down, right? There was a circumstance in his life that he could not deal with. He could not get through it in his head, and he shut down. In fact, when, when Joseph was um, keeping himself secret from his brothers, and his brothers were saying, he's like, well, why? Why, can't, why, why, should, you know, why shouldn't you just leave? Why shouldn't I keep your brother Benjamin? And they said, if we did this again, our father would die. It would take his head down to the grave. And it's like, wow, Jacob, his whole life, from the day that he received that bloody, tattered jacket, from that day forward, his life ended. He had no consolation for it. He had no comfort. The only thing that he did have, he had another son, Benjamin, from his wife, Rachel. And he held on to him, and like, this is my boy, but it still, didn't, it still didn't satisfy the pain. It still didn't take it away. And so Jacob, his whole life, his whole life was holding on. He was shackled by the past. It, this shackle, this chain reached all the way from that day, all the way until the day where he is standing before Pharaoh, and he's still not free of it. Because when the Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? The first thing he thinks of is, my days are few and evil. My days are few and evil. But now, here's the thing. What would the Lord call him to do? The Lord would say, Jacob, Jacob, my son, can you trust me? Give me Joseph. Give me Joseph. Because now, Jacob, think about this for a moment. How many years did he lose because of his grief? Now, Certainly, he had a right to mourn. Nobody can take that from him. But how many years of his life did he throw away? Did he allow the locust to devour because of his grief? He had 11 other sons. He had four wives. He had everything. He had the Lord and the promises and the blessings of heaven. He had the promises of a Messiah and a city whose maker and builder is God. And yet, he shut down. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I, and this is the thing that I geek out on. And, I, and I, I can't help it. I just think about it all the time whenever I think of Jacob. This is the end of the matter. Joseph was alive. Joseph wasn't dead. Jacob had this chain around him, this bitterness, this anger, this sorrow that he could not escape. And it was unfounded. The Lord, the Lord took Joseph. The Lord put him in 
in Egypt to elevate him and to bless him that he might save Jacob and his family. But Joseph could not see that, and he would not see it, and he would not trust the Lord, and he would not give Joseph to the Lord. And so few and evil were his days. That is his testimony of his own life. Now, God doesn't look at it that way. God says, you know, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is, this is a man of promise. He's one of the patriarchs. The God, God sees Jacob different. But Jacob's testimony of his life, his perception of his life, is that it was few and that it was evil. That's pretty hardcore, huh? And Joseph was alive. Joseph was alive. He wasn't dead. But, you know, he's not the only one. Jacob wasn't the only one to, to share in sorrow. Turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this story. But tonight we're going to look at um, not Ruth, but Naomi. Naomi had some demons of her own. She had some skeletons in the closet that she was, um, it was very difficult for her to overcome. And you'll understand why in just a moment. We're going to start at verse 19. It says, now it's speaking of Ruth and of Naomi. It says, now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Now, I see like, wow, gosh, that was kind of heavy. This doesn't completely make sense because there's a play, play on words, and all, pretty much all the words in there are translated from Hebrew into English except for their names. Naomi, her name actually means pleasant. Right? That is, it's a pretty name. It's a, it's a light. It's an airy name. It's pleasant. You know, my name is pleasant. How are you? And Mara means bitter. She says, so the women of Bethlehem are saying, Naomi, Naomi, is that you? And she says, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Because the Lord has been harsh with me. I went out full and I've come back empty. And it's like, wow, what happened to her? Well, they, she and her family left Bethlehem because of a drought, because of a famine. And they went to Moab. And as they were there, her husband dies. And then later, her two sons die. And then after that, she's, she tries to send her daughter-in-laws away. She says, go, 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 Orpha. One of them says, I don't want to, I don't want to. But then she says, Orpha, go. And she left. And then she tries to do the same thing with Ruth. And Ruth says, no. She says, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And where you die, I will die. But Naomi had this thing. She couldn't, she couldn't give her husband and she couldn't give her sons to the Lord. In her mind, she had lost everything. And it's like even her very name, her name who identified who she was, her name, she says, that doesn't even fit me anymore. Take it away. Don't call me Naomi because that is not who I am. I am not pleasant anymore. The Lord has stripped me of that. Now all he has left me with is bitterness and sorrow. That is my name. Call me Mara. That's where Naomi was. Now here's the thing. She couldn't have understood then, but the Lord was doing an incredible work for her and giving her probably one of the greatest honors this side of eternity that you could have. Through Ruth, 
her daughter-in-law. The Lord was going to bring Naomi into the lineage of the greatest king of Israel, King David. And not only that, but he also was grafting her into the lineage of somebody, a mightier king than even David, and that of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. It was by her trial, it was by her sorrow, it was by this trial, this fiery trial that she found herself in, that the Lord gave her the greatest honor, the greatest blessing that there is on this side of eternity. She was going to be part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer of Israel. But she couldn't see it. Call me Mara. She couldn't see it. And so the past, it can shackle us. And many of us, and, and you know, I've had events, you, when, when I, I, I got a, a strong scolding at a job once, and it was completely unfounded. You know, it was something that I, I was just like, you know, I had done everything. I'd warned them. I said, hey, this is going to happen. If you don't fix this, this is going to happen. 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 Please do something. Do something. Do something. Do something. Nobody lifted a finger. Nobody lifted a finger. And all of a sudden, finally, it came to the point where everything broke down. And then, you know, our GM came in and he, he scolded us and, and he, he you know, belittled me in front of a bunch of people and the whole bit. And it's like, I had bitterness in my heart. And I couldn't let it go. And every single time I ever thought of his name, every time I, somebody mentioned that name, I got so angry, I couldn't let it go. It was a shackle. And I couldn't move forward with it. I couldn't let it go. And it was a bitterness. And the thing about a root of bitterness is that a root, if you've ever seen, how many of you have weeds in your yard? When you pull out, when you pull, yeah, when you pull out a weed, is it just this nice thin little thing that comes down? Some plants. But more times than not, what do they do? They branch out. Yeah, they spread out. They spread out all over the place. And when we get a root of bitterness in our hearts, guess what? It will never stay with that person, that I, my GM. It will never stay with, okay, it's just the Lord that Naomi's angry at. It will never stay with Jacob and his, like the Lord has been evil to me. My days are evil and few. It will never stay just there. That root of bitterness, it goes down, it goes down deep, and then it begins to spread out. And now, if, if, if it wasn't so, Jacob would have been able to say, you know, I'm mad at God, but gosh, man, I got everything. I got a lot of kids. I got, you know, life is good, but man, I'm mad at that God for taking my son away. No. Few and evil are all of my days, every aspect of my day. Don't call me pleasant. I am bitter. Because the root of bitterness never stays put. It spreads, and it will infect every aspect of your life if it is not ripped out. Now, Paul... He gives us a a clue on how to deal with this. Turn to Acts chapter 20. And uh, go over to verse 22. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Paul basically asks this. This is what we learn from Paul. Trials? It's all right, I'm going to finish with joy. Now, any of you who know the life of Paul, this guy... You know, the Lord even said of him that, you know, I have to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Uh, he was a persecutor of the church. He, you know, he was the one who, you know, he, he held the coats of the people who stoned Stephen, the first martyr of the church. You know, he, he was the one who asked for papers so he can go and drag Christians into the streets and try to get them stoned. 
and like to kill them, to murder them, and capital, capital punishment for their blasphemy of the Lord. You know, this is the man, and he went through so many hardships, so many trials, so many thorns of the flesh where his eyes, like his, there was something wrong with his eyes that was just excruciating for him. He called it the tent stake in his flesh, right? It's something that was piercing him. He had, you know, he had many afflictions. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was shipwrecked multiple times, bitten by serpents, all sorts of things. He was jailed. He was imprisoned, and this is what Paul says. Check this out. Verse 22. Look with me at verse 22. He says, And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, the unknown, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Paul was anticipating the trial. He was anticipating the pain and this is what he said. He says, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That is Paul's answer to tribulation. That is Paul's answer to hard times and hardships. He says, Hey, it's not about me. He says, the Holy Spirit's telling me that I'm going to suffer, that chains wait, await me, and tribulation awaits me. He says, but that does not move me because my life is not dear to myself. The only thing that matters is that I finish the race that the Lord has entrusted to me, that I finish the work that he has given me, and you know what, by golly, I am going to do it with joy. Nobody can take that crown away from me. I do not care what I suffer. I do not care. I've been through so much. I've been to hell and back, and I do not care. Whatever awaits me, it does not matter. It cannot steal my joy away from me. And that's what the past will do. The past will try to rob you of the joy. When we allow that bitterness to sink deep into our hearts and spread out, who is the one who's most affected? Is it the people around me? My general manager didn't have a clue that I was angry at him. And he couldn't care less even if he did. Who was tormented? Who was imprisoned by his anger? Me. No one else. And so Paul says, I will not be bound. I will not be held bondage by anything. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And these things move me not. My life is not dear to myself. I will glorify and praise the Lord with every breath. And I will finish this race. That's Paul's answer. Pretty good answer, huh? Amen. So now, that's not the end of it, though. Because as we said, there's also the future. And what does the future hold? Many of us have this anxiety of what will come in the future. It's like, will I lose my job? Many of you have lost your jobs. Many of you, you know, right now in our economic times, it's like, gosh, you know, I, I just got laid off. Everything, everything's topsy-turvy. What are you, you know, I thought my job was secure. I thought everything was fine. What am I going to do? You know, we, we've, got, we've got a mortgage to pay. We've got a car payment. We've got bills. What are we going to do? What if my company goes under? You know, I don't know. What, you know, what are we going to do? And the future is, in the future, when we look to the future, we don't look and we don't see the hope of eternity. We don't see, you know, the, the consolation of Jesus Christ. But we, unfortunately, our gaze kind of drifts down a little bit. And all we see is the hardships and the trials that await us, and it overwhelms us. But turn with me to Luke chapter 12. A little Bible calisthenics tonight. <laughs> and we're going to start in verse 22. This is, this is Jesus... This is his answer to worry and to anxiety. 
So I'm just going to read through this real quick. I'll make a quick comment on it, but we're not going to stay long in here because what can I add to what our Lord and Savior says about the matter? Jesus' words, verse 22. So Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? The smallest thing you can't, you can't change by worry, so why are you going to worry about the rest of it? It's, it's fruitless. It's pointless. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon, the great king, the most wealthy king of Israel, in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God then so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven and burned, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. He says, and do not seek for what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. He says, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wow, that says a lot, huh? What do we do with worry? What do we do with anxiety of what the future holds, of what the scenarios in our minds might produce? What do we do with the unknown? How do we deal with it? The Lord says, trust me. Remember what Jacob and what Naomi couldn't do? They were unable to let go of the past because they couldn't trust God. Remember Job? Right? And, and that whole book, and you look through all the trials and all the hardships and the sorrows of Job. And in the end, what was it that the Lord required of Job? Because the Lord never answered Job his question. Lord, why have I suffered? I'm a righteous man. I'm a good man. Surely you made a mistake. Why have you become my enemy, my adversary? Why have you sunk your arrows deep into me? And the Lord never answered that question. He asked Job a whole bunch of other questions. Job, where were you when I founded the earth? Where were you? Do you know the storehouses of heaven, what they hold? Do you, can you hold the stars and the constellations together by your word, by your power? Were you there? Were you there? Did you do this? Can you? And he asked all these questions that are impossible to answer. And then in the end, Job says, I repent. And God never answered the question. But this is why, because the Lord doesn't require of us. We, we don't have to know exactly God's motives and why he does everything that he does, but he does require that we have faith in him and that we trust him. And Jesus says, hey, the future. This is, my, this is Jesus' teaching on the future. Don't worry about it. If you want to look to the future, do what Paul does, and you look to the goal. You look up, don't look down, you look up. You look up to heaven and you see the coming of Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is coming and he is coming quickly. Look to him, see him. And then when you have that hope, when you have that future in your heart and you know 
that's my goal, that's where I'm going, then you know what? Our life becomes purified. We walk in trueness and wholeness, and we do not walk in fear. And we are set free from the future and the worry of it. He says, hey, the future has enough worries of its own, or the today has enough worries of its own. Don't worry about that. You can't change it by worrying anyway. Keep one eye to the future, but look up when you do. The future can be a prison to us, and it can keep us, and it can trap us, and it can, it can so overwhelm us that we become inactive. We become, it's like we're in solitude, you know, in solitary confinement, and we're just stuck, and we're trapped, and we become so paralyzed by what the future may hold that we can't go forward, and we can't do anything, and we're trapped. Jesus says, as far as the future is concerned, trust me. As far as the past is concerned, trust me. You guys see, you see a, a repetition on what the Bible says about the past and the future? Give it to the Lord. Trust him. But now, what about today? Because truly, this is the most important uh, subject that we're going to talk about. What about today? What are you going to do with today? Because Jesus, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, they're the God of yesterday, today, and forevermore. Amen. But let me tell you this. If you are living your life in the past, if that's where you are, if that's where your mind is, if that's what so dominates your life, let me just tell you a secret. Jesus will not meet you in the past. It's over. You can't change the past. It's done. Jesus does not meet you in the past. And then you say, oh, what about the future? The future over there. You know, one day, Jesus doesn't meet you in the future. That's not where he is. That's not where he deals with us. Jesus meets us today. Jesus works in our lives today. Jesus speaks to us through his word, through his children, through pastors, today. What will you do with today? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is what Paul has to say about today. I figured he did such a good job about uh, worrying about the future that we'd give him a shot at the, at the present too. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. We then as workers together with him, that's Jesus, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, that is the Lord, in an acceptable time I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, here is Paul's exhortation. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The Bible said, hey, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. In in an acceptable time, I have there, I'll be your salvation. Paul says, guys, it's today. Jesus has died on the cross. He has risen. There is life available for every man, woman, and child who will submit their lives to him. And he says, today is the day. Do not wait. If you have something that's holding you, if there's something back in your life that is keeping you from the Lord and going forward with him, he says, let it go. Repent of it. If, there, if you're saying, hey, you know what? I'm not ready for the Lord. I'm not ready for that yet. You know, I, I still have things that I want to do. I'm not ready to give my life to him. I, no, I don't want to submit it to him. I can't trust him with it because I still want to have fun. I can't do it. I'll meet him there. 
Paul says, no. Behold, today is the acceptable day. Today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. This is the day. And uh, James actually uh, gives another little, ex- you know, a little expression in here that I want to say. He basically says life is short. Life is a vapor. Right? If, it, how many of you have ever boiled water, cooked spaghetti or something like that? And that little wisp of steam, have you ever, it's kind of a fascinating thing. You look at that little steam. Am I the only one who does that? Like you look at it and go, that's kind of cool. And you try to like follow it for a second. Like how high does it go before it disappears? Right? But it's gone like this. It's like it, it has substance for a half a second and then it's like it's gone. It's like it's there and then where'd it go? It's gone. James says that's your life. Your life is a vapor. You are here for one moment, one brief breath. And then you are ushered off of the stage of life and it is gone. Jesus said, hey, you know what? You may say, hey, I'm going to do this. You know, he told the parable of that guy who's building the great barns and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, hey, you know, everything's great. I've got this great you know, increase now. I'm going to you know, build bigger barns and I'm going to like, live the good life and I'm going to eat and drink and woohoo, amen. And then Jesus said, you fool. Did you not know that your life is required of you tomorrow? You won't see it. You won't see it. And so what good is it to gain the entire world and forfeit your soul? Right? We have today. Tomorrow is promised to no one. Tomorrow is promised to no one. Amber O'Neill, she went in for a surgery yesterday. Yesterday morning. And as she's getting ready to go into the surgery, she messes with Brian. And she she gives a thumbs up. She goes, see you in heaven. And then the the people that were with her go, that was mean. And she's laughing. She's like, I'm just messing with them right? But you know what? She was right. She had the right to say, it's like, hey, you know what? We're not promised anything. I, I could literally drop dead from an aneurysm before I finish this message tonight. I have not been promised anything beyond now. What will I do with now? What will I do with this day, this moment that I have been given? Because guess what, guys? Life is not tomorrow. Life is not the past. Life is a day called today. Life is a moment called now. And this is the moment that God interacts in our life. This is the moment that God says, follow me. This is the moment that God says, look to me, trust me, follow me, obey me. This is the moment where he says, be my disciple. This is where he says, be my ambassador. This is where he will speak a word to you and say, I want you to go share this with that person. Now. If there is anything, if there is anyone or anything that is holding you, whether it be the future, whether it be the past, that is saying that it's keeping you from going forward in the Lord and having that intimate relationship with the Lord, I say rebuke it. I exhort you strongly this night. Rebuke that. Do not live there because the past is a prison. It is a bondage. It is a chain. It is not worth it. You have to let it go. The future, it's imaginary. It's not there yet. You do not know the end from the beginning. The Lord alone has that. And he says, trust me for it. Proverbs 3, 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. So lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. He knows it. So he says, trust me this day. Entrust your life with me this day. I will not fail you. Give it to me. And like my servant Paul, don't count your life as anything. Let it go. Give it to me. And finish your race with joy. That's what the the Bible says. 
this isn't just me. You know, if it was just me, I'd say, well, take it for what it is. And, you know, if it, if it does you any good, amen. But this is what the word of God says. We are told that we are, if, if you look up the word fear in the Bible, I think I've shared this with you guys before. If you look up the word fear in the Bible, you know what 99.9% of every single passage has to do with? Two things. Fear God and nothing else. And yet, how many of us are trapped with fear? You know, I, I have to confess something to you guys. Before the year of evangelism, I was terrified to go out and like really like street. I, no, I've done it before. I've even shared of times where I did it, where it's like the Lord told me to go do it. And I'm like, <laughs> like that. And my arms are shaking, my heart's beating and things like that. And it's like, it terrified me. I mean, I was absolutely like, oh, that's not me. You know, that ain't me. You know, and it's like, I was paralyzed by it. And then something started happening. It's like, okay, well, I have this vision for the kids. You know, the Lord's giving this for the, for the children's ministry, and you guys know it. You know, we make the tracks, and we take them over, and the kids hand out the tracks. But it's like, how can I lead them where I'm not willing to go? And so I felt this great burden in my heart. It's like, okay, Brian, you, you've feared this for a long time. You've been anxiety-ridden over this a long time, but I'm telling you, it's time to go. Today, it's time to go. And so we went out with those kids, and it's like, well, here we go. And it's like, yeah, this isn't something I'm comfortable doing, but I'm taking these kids, and we're doing it. And so off we go, and so we start handing out tracks, and like, here you go, here you go. And it's like, it's like wow, that was a great experience. You know, it's like, it, it wasn't all that scary. We just put them on the cars. We didn't really talk to anybody. You know, there's a couple kids that were just like, I mean, the kids, I mean, they teach us, right? And they're just like, hey, mister, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless you. You know, and it's like, and they like totally go for it. I'm just like, dude, man, they make me look bad. And here I'm the pastor and they're just like going for it. You know, and it's like, so then we finished that one and it's like, I'm at Fry's. I'm like, all right, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I had some tracks. It's like, and I start, and I just, I was so nervous and I was like afraid of what everybody was going to think of me. And I'm putting the tracks in the windshield of the cars and I, you know, I go through and as I'm walking up, there's a, a delivery guy and he's, and he's loading some stuff into his truck and it's like, okay, I got to walk right past him hey, did you get one of these? <laughs> and I gave it to the guy, and he goes, what's this? And I'm like, oh, you had to ask. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, uh. And it's like, he had to ask. And so I give it to him, and I say, oh, it's a gospel track. It talks about Jesus. I said, hey, you know, I have to go in here real quick for something. I said, read it, and if you have any questions, you know, I'll be back out, and I'd be happy to answer them for you. And so I go in, and I'm like, and I go through and I do my shopping at Fry's to get some toner for the office. And I come back out and that guy's long gone. And I was like, hey, you know, that wasn't that bad. You know, I, I put a couple of tracks and I was nervous about putting tracks on the cars. And then it's like, and then it's like, I run into this guy and I handed it to him and I was a little bit nervous, but then it's like, but not really. And it's like, hey, that wasn't that bad. Cool. And then like, as I've been going and as I've been doing this, it's like more and more, you know, I've been, I, I have, you know, some tracks that I have, and even some of these, like, that's Olivia, if you don't know, it's my uh, third daughter, <laughs> you know, but it's like, the Lord has been emboldening me, it's like, as I go, and it's like, you know, just putting them on the cars, putting them on the cars, and it's like, and then from there, the step to actually handing them to somebody really wasn't that scary at all either, you know, putting them on the windshield is easy, because you're not talking to anybody, you're not engaging anybody, it's no big deal, but it's like, I had a fear of it, until I did it a few times, and I was like, oh, that's not scary, and then you start handing them to people, and it's like, oh, well, that's not really that scary either. And then you start having conversations with people, and it's like, huh, well, that's not really scary either. I've, you know, I've never thought of myself having a gift of evangelism, but it's like, 
you know, it's like, this is just discipleship. This is just oh, overcoming some, a few little hurdles of fear. It was a fear of the future that, that paralyzed me. It kept me from this ministry. And it's like, I was afraid what people would think. I was afraid of what people would say. I was afraid of what they would do. Maybe they'd punch me or get angry at me or someone rip it up and throw it in my face. I was afraid. I was, I was respecting their person and who they were. And it paralyzed me from sharing the gospel with them. Jesus says, don't be afraid. You fear me only. Don't worry about them. You be like my servant Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he had a ministry where he was, he was preaching to the people and they didn't get it. And under his watch, Israel fell. He saw his people mutilated and destroyed and he watched Jerusalem burn. You don't have to be successful, just faithful. That's all the Lord calls us to. Now, every single one of us have a day that's promised to them today. Every single one of us have this moment and this moment only. Now, some of you may start the day behind the eight ball. It's like, man, my life has been hard. It's been like, you don't even understand. This is my past, this and this and this and this. And you feel like you're starting the day way over here at a complete disadvantage. And you may start the day there. And then some of you may start the day, man, it's like, dude, I'm cruising, I'm blessed with the Lord, everything's going great, everything is hunky-dory, hunky-dory, everything is wonderful, and you have a choice. And then there's some of you who may be starting right here in the middle, where it's just like, eh, you know, life is good, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I know that, and, you know, everything's just, you know, it's status quo. Every single one of you, me included, have a choice to make every single day. It does not matter whether we start back here. It does not matter if we start here or it doesn't matter if we start over here. And the thing that we have to choose is what will I do with today? The past, it's over. It does not matter. The future, it's only an imagination. It doesn't exist yet. What do I do with this day, this breath of life that the Lord God Almighty has given me? What will I do with it? Because there's basically three things that you can do with your day. You can backslide, or you can drift a little bit further behind the eight ball, not trusting the Lord, not giving your heart to the Lord, not submitting to his authority, and you can fall a little bit further away, grow a little bit colder in your heart. You can drift from the Lord. That's one option. The other option is you can stay right where you're at, and things won't really change. They'll just kind of stay the same. There's no excitement. There's no life in your walk. It's just kind of there. Jesus said of the lukewarm church, you know, I vomit you out of my mouth, so I wouldn't suggest that, that particular road. Better to go over here than to stay here. If you're just staying where you're at and everything's just fine and everything's good and you're not really, there's no life in your, in your walk, you don't want to be here. Dangerous place to be right here. But then there is the choice that every single one of us, and this is the choice that I was talking about at the beginning of the message, this is the choice that every single Christian must make every single day, and it is the choice to go forward with the Lord. Every single day, no matter how my day starts, I may start that I just got laid off, I may start this day where I have, you know, a terminal disease that I am going to die in a few weeks. I may start the day in just racked with pain. I may start the day where my wife has left me. I may start the day where my husband doesn't care about me. I may start the day where my children are wild and out of control. I may start the day 
hating God. But I challenge every single one of you this evening, do not stay there and do not drift further away because few and evil are those days. Bitter are these days. But the joy of the Lord is always this way. The joy of the Lord is this way. And you apprehend it today. It is something that is not far off. It is not something that is over there. It's not something that I will come to. The joy of the Lord, you know, one day I will be happy. I know it. You know, I, I had a couple that I was doing marriage counseling with. And they said, it's like, oh, Pastor Brian, we know that this trial that we're in, is, it's, it's going to bring a good thing. And we know that the Lord is going to bless us through it. And I said, why wait? And, and he, the, the husband was hilarious because then he gets off the phone, honey, do you know what Pastor Brian just said? He said, he said, why wait? And he was like, like that was just like the, the most novel thought he had ever heard. He's like, why wait? We can have the joy of the Lord today. Why wait till tomorrow? The Lord promised it to me. It's supposed to be mine. All I have to do is claim it, right? I got the little ticket right here. But a lot of times what we do, we take that, that little ticket that has God's blessings on it and we put it in our pocket. I'll claim it tomorrow. And we continue on in our bitterness and we continue on with that shackle around our ankle. God says, no, don't do that. Last verse I'm going to have you go to tonight. Isaiah 61. Because this is the ministry of Jesus Christ in your life and my life. This is why he came. This is the verse that Jesus read when he was standing in the synagogue and he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the ministry of Jesus Christ in our lives. This is what he has for you. This is what his purpose, this is what his plan for you is. And when we read this, the me's are the Lord. That is the Messiah. That is Jesus Christ. And everything else is you and you and you and you and me. You guys ready? You ready for what the Lord has for your life this day? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, that's Jesus, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. That's the gospel. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. How many of us are broken from the past? How many of us have been crushed by what the circumstances of life have brought us? He says, I have come to heal your broken heart. He says, I have come to proclaim liberty to the captives. How many of us are trapped by the fear of what could be, of what tomorrow may bring? He says, guys, I have come to set you at liberty. I have come to open the prison door that has kept you shackled and bound and afraid. He says, I have come to set you free. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And it goes on. Jesus didn't, this is where he stopped. But let's just keep reading for a second because this is good stuff. He says, and the day of vengeance of our God, right? That, that means the tribulation's coming. And for us, that means the rapture's coming too. Something that we can be comforted with. And he says, to comfort all who mourn. How many of us are mourning? How many of us have sorrow in our hearts and he says let me come and minister to you let me come and comfort you he says to console those who mourn in zion to give them beauty for ashes is your life ashes right now is there an area in your life that has been so devastated by the fire of your trial 
that is, it has been rendered down to nothing but ashes. And he says, let me exchange your ashes for something beautiful. He says, the oil of joy from morning. He says, let me anoint you. Let me pour oil over your head, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit falling upon you. And he says, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, the heaviness that is in your heart, this thing that has weighed you down all the days of your life that you have held onto it. He says, let me take it from you. Let me take this mantle off of your shoulders and I will put a mantle upon you that lightens your feet, that puts a spring in your step and a whistle on your heart, right? So you can sing praises and, and joy to the Lord. He says, let me give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that and who's the they? It's us. He says that, I'm just going to say you, that you may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and why? That he might be glorified. Brothers and sisters, it is through the joy of the Lord in our lives. It is us surrendering all of our fears, all of our failures, everything that has shackled us in the past and all of our fears of the future. It is us surrendering those things to him and then taking upon ourselves the joy that he offers and letting that be our strength, allowing that to be the thing that gives us guidance in our life, allowing that to be the thing that gives us hope and the power of our walk and the strength of our witness. It's when we give those things to him. It's a great trade, don't you think? We give all of the junk to him, and he says, now let me give you joy and peace and gentleness and kindness and self-control, the attributes of the Spirit of God. And he says, by that, when you allow me to bless you, then I am glorified. Think of Jacob. Jacob robbed God of being of glory because Jacob would not allow God to bless him. He said, few and evil were my days. That's the testimony. I'm a patriarch. I am, I am the man who has the blessings of God upon me and I will not give him glory. I will not give him the praise that he deserves because I am mad because he took my son from me and he let me believe all those years that my son was dead. And so Jacob robbed God of glory. But God does not want that. God says, hey guys, I have a plan for your life and it is a good plan. I know my thoughts for you, declares the Lord. Thoughts of good, not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. And it is through that future and it is through that hope and through the blessings of the Lord that he has promised you and us walking in those blessings that he is then glorified because people will look at you and say, wow, what does he have that I don't have? What is it that she has that she can just get fired from her job and yet she is still like, woohoo, at least I get some time off now. I've been pretty stressed at work. Right? What, is, what is it that gives them this strength and this power that it seems like you know, the world throws everything it has at them and it doesn't matter, it doesn't move them? They have this strength that I don't understand and I want it and it is then that our God is glorified in us. Jesus said, glorify me that I may glorify you. And God would have the same of you. He says, let me glorify you. He says, you humble yourself. You submit all of your pain, all of your fears, all of your life to me. He says, and I will exalt you. And I will glorify you. And you will be a, a city on a hill who cannot be hidden. And people will glorify me because of you. What will we do with this day? That is the question every single one of us 
must ask. And I will say, guys, trust him. Will you trust him? Please trust him. He is worthy. He has shown himself. He has taken us this far. And even if this world gives us nothing but bitter times, hardships, and pain, what is heaven? This life is a vapor, right? There's our life. There it goes. It's gone. It's silent. But what is eternity? Eternity, that is the substance of life. This is a vapor. This is a shadow. Eternity is forever. And when we're in eternity, and it's like, you know, I know there's no years in, it, in eternity and all that, but like when a billion years have passed by, do you think you'll even remember the suffering that we had in this day? Probably not. Probably not. Like when, like when you've been like in the presence of God, and you're like glorified, you're in your glorified body, and you're all ripped, and you got a full head of hair, and you're looking good, and you're like, dun, 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 you got your bling going on, right? And everything's awesome. There's no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. Everything is awesome. You're walking those streets of gold, and it's like glowing. You hear like the angels singing in the background, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you're walking. Do you think in that day, you're going to be looking back and going, man, that God, he just really made me mad. No. No. You're not going to think about it. And so even if the worst of this life plagues you all of your life, it's a vapor. It'll be over soon. Don't worry. And you will have eternity with the Lord. For, it's forever. You will, you will be a pillar in his temple, unmovable, never leaving. You will have eternity with him. Guys, we can trust him. His promises are good and they are true. And they are worthy of our trust. And now, I leave you with one final thing. His truth will set us free. He has spoken. Jesus said, I am the truth. I'm in Revelation with the beloved group. And last night he said, I am the truth. I am holy and I am true. When we apprehend, when we by faith trust in God and we hold on to these truths that he has proclaimed... That truth, letting go of the future, breaking off the shackle or letting him break the shackle off us from the past, when we hold on to that, guess what, guys? There ain't nothing holding us back. We are free, and who the Son makes free is free indeed. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, what can we say for who you are and what you are, Lord, your ministry in our lives to set us free, to give us joy, to take our pain and our sorrow and to exchange it with joy and happiness. Lord, we love you. But Lord, you know our frame, that we are but dust. Lord, apart from you, we can't let go of the past. We can't let go of the hurt. We can't let go of the anger that we feel and the bitterness. Lord, its root goes too deep inside our hearts. It branches out to, into too many areas of our lives. Lord, we need your help when we look to you, Jesus, and we call upon you now to heal our hearts. And Lord, the future, it can be overwhelming to us, Lord, but Lord, you said not to be anxious, not to worry. And Lord, we believe, but Lord, help our unbelief. Lord, help us to walk in obedience to, your, to you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, help us to believe your word, that you will give us 
your joy and your peace which passes all understanding. Be glorified in us, Lord. Bless your servants because it glorifies you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we are not ashamed to come, but we come boldly to the throne of grace and we ask for your blessings upon our lives. Lord, give us the oil of joy. Replace the ashes of our pain and our past. Give us the garment of praise. Lord, let us be your plantings. Let the fruit of our lives bring glory and honor to you all the days of our life. This day, this moment, now. Be God of our lives, Lord. Be preeminent in our hearts and be enthroned in our minds. It is in your name, Jesus, that we pray and we find our hope and our consolation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Amen.